You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing? Happy Memorial Day. Indeed. Happy Camouflage Uniforms Day. <laughs> that was that was happy. That's one way to put that. But more on that later. <laughs> Uh, we are here, we're bringing you, uh, proud to bring you, excited to bring you, episode 52 of Baltimoreans. Yes, indeed, we're very um, excited uh, later in the show to get to an interview with our Baltimore Oriole podcast counterparts, section 336. Our brethren. Our partners in the pod. No, I think we can do a little better than that. Partners in the pod, our brothers in broadcasting, we're not broadcasting. That's not a that's not an accurate <laughs> verb for what we do here. Uh, Broadly casting about for content, we do that. Anyway, we got section three thirty six on the show today. We're very excited to have those guys on, and uh, also want to remind you as always that you can check out our blog uh, and the general website for the show at baltimoreanspodcast.com. Episode fifty two. Uh, is, of course, the number of years in 52 years since the first Major League Baseball All-Star game ended in a tie. Really? That has happened twice in the history of the Major League Baseball All-Star game, the second time in 2002, but the first time 52 years ago. It's also the number of reasons in millions that the (laughs) Cubs have to keep on rolling out Mr. Edwin Jackson, (laughs) despite the fact that he... uh, the man of many different teams has put up a 1-7 record and a 6-1-1 earned run average so far this season. Nice. Um, I think it was only about 20 episodes ago on this very program that we were urging Mr. Duquette and Mr. Uh, yep. <laughs> and the front office of the Baltimore Orioles to make a play for Mr. Jackson. I have rended um, more than a few garments <laughs> over Edwin Jackson. To bolster the Orioles roster, but young Master Epstein made him a key part of his club's rebuilding plan. So, Sam, is this just another clay case where the wiles of Dan and Buck were light years ahead of you and I? Or are we all just very lucky that the Cubs overplayed their hand and overpaid for Edwin? Uh, well, I, I mean, I think, uh, I think if you told me, if you looked me in the eye yes. and said that Freddie Garcia <laughs> was going to be a better pitcher in 2013 than Edwin Jackson... I uh, probably would have ceased keeping company with you. <laughs> well, it's a young year. Let's <laughs> not let's not uh, let's not extend Freddie's current success statistically outward any farther than we have. <laughs> um, Fifty-two is also it should be mentioned the percentage of Americans who favor the legalization of marijuana and smart the people percentage of fans wearing Yankees baseball caps who cannot name anyone on the team before 1998 or after 2012. Get out of here. Is that real? No. Is that a- <laughs> <laughs> But you know, it's 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 close to real. <laughs> Intern Scotty is having a heart attack in the corner, Alan. <laughs> At the um, tender age of 22, you killed him. <laughs> With your now, nonsense. We're recording today on Memorial Day, as we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, in the year of our Lord, 2013. The Orioles today have already notched a strong win in memory of the troops um, <laughs> who have died in the service to this country. Um, but more on the ways that we chose to honor those troops later in the program, as oh, Sam mentioned. We got a rip snorter <laughs> coming at you. In the meantime, on this day in history, in 1968... 
Um, May 27, 1968, Major League Baseball awarded the first Canadian franchise to the Montreal Expos, who would then go on to become the Washington Nationals and lose 6-2 to the Baltimore Orioles. Today. And on this day in 1927, the Ford Motor Company stopped manufacturing the classic Model T, um, then went on to 55 years of financial success, only to then abandon the city that they created from the plains of middle America, <laughs> and uh, which would, of course, lead to Miguel Cabrera winning the Triple Crown last year. <laughs> yep, I follow your logic on that. <laughs> and I, th- I think uh, probably the rest of our listeners do as well, because yeah. you guys are smart people. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a flow of history, Yeah, uh, and we are only trying to tabulate and keep track of its many different intricacies as it, as it trundles by. That is... A very eloquent mission statement for this program, Alan. And uh, if I could spell any of the words you just said, I would put it on our masthead. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, um, as, uh, as Alan mentioned, uh, the Orioles were victorious today over the Nationals of Washington. Uh, or as some of you call them, the zombie expos. Um, I don't think there's any of you that called them the zombie expos, nor should you. Uh, because again, you're smart people. <laughs> um, but uh, the, the excellent pitching performance that we got out of Jason Hamill is the type of starting pitching performance that we have not seen too much of No, this year, if I may say, out Very of the little. starting core. Very little. Al and I went through and I ran some numbers, Uh-oh. which, as you know, <laughs> and as intern Scotty knows or would know if he was still alive. <laughs> even even uh, posthumously, he is gripping his pencil and calculator <laughs> with a white-knuckled grip. <laughs> what do they call it uh, in, in the mortuary business, I believe, when they pull a, a sheet off of a recently ex, uh, expired person and a male and they have an erection? That's, they call that angel lust. Do um, they? I thought they called that rigor mortis. Well, the, the, in the mortuary <laughs> business, I'm saying. Ah, okay. You know, you know, it, it's uh, shop talk. Sure. Among sure. morticians. <laughs> More on that later. Yeah. But, <laughs> well, I, I come up with something. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe after the interview, we'll uh, we'll have the mortuary minute. <laughs> but uh, I think whatever intern Scotty has that's causing him to clutch his calculator right now is the equivalent. Is the podcast intern equivalent of angel lust mm, mm. um and i don't have a good name for it so i'll continue <laughs> angels actuarial <laughs> yeah sure sure <laughs> let's let's run with that um so I went, I went through and i did look at some numbers which again is a dangerous thing for us to do here in hootenanny studios sure but sure. It, it hasn't stopped us before and it didn't stop me today and what i did alan is i went through and i looked at uh some statistics mm-hmm. of the what I would say are the best three pitchers in uh, Boston, New York, Tampa Bay, and Baltimore. Oh, boy. I left Toronto out because I've decided they're a lost cause. (laughs) Also because um, I did not have enough time to do (laughs) even more division. (laughs) I was already at the peak of my abilities. Okay. With uh, what little work I did do. Okay. Uh, In Boston, Uh you got John Lester, Clay Buckholtz, and John Lackey. Woo! These gentlemen have combined to throw a little bit more than 183 innings with a combined ERA of 2.6. Wow, really? Yep. Dang. And a combined whip of 1.09. 
Wow. In New York, Sabathia, Kuroda, and Pettit have thrown a little bit more than 181 innings, a 3.48 ERA combined, and a 1.21 whip. In Tampa Bay, Alex Cobb, Jeremy Hellickson, and mighty Matt Moore, 191 innings, a 3.41 ERA between them, and a 1.11 whip. And I should point out, in Tampa Bay in particular, that's what David Price injured, and Jeremy Hellickson's ERA in that bunch is 5.37, hmm. which you got to figure is going to go down as well. But that just tells you how good Cobb and Moore have been. Now in Baltimore, <laughs> you got I went with Tillman, Hamill, and Chen. Okay. 162 innings pitched, so that's about 20 fewer than the lowest uh, competitor in New York. ERA of 4.03 and a whip of 1.33. Now, my question here, I guess, is that's, uh, if you, if from an ERA standpoint, that's what, uh, about half a run a game worse than, um, New York and Tampa Bay. Boston's number is, is really absurdly low, and you got to figure that's going to go up a little bit. This is John Lackey we're talking about, after all. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to find where they hid the fried chicken, and uh, all will be all will be as it should be. Um, but we, we have a situation going on in Baltimore right now, I think, where the there are a lot of questions in the bullpen, and there are a lot of questions in the starting rotation. And so my question <laughs> to you yes. is, um, do you figure that if the bullpen just didn't need to do so much goddamn work all the time, i.e. if we had better starting pitching, um, the problem would go away? Because that's my contention. My I think, contention I think is so. that... I think, I think it's a talented bullpen. Uh, I think that they're good at what they do. I think that they have been overworked and that we would not be worried so much if the number of meltdowns that the bullpen has had recently were spread over more games. Mm-hmm. That is to say, if there were fewer appearances in any individual game, the 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 inevitable run-of-the-mill bullpen fuck-ups that will happen will be less condensed. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Whereas right now, you have every pitcher in the bullpen getting tired at the same time. So that just increases the likelihood that there are going to be meltdowns. Or taking a, a hard liner off of the bare hand. Oh, Tommy. Oh, Tommy. <laughs> MRIs came back positive That's or true. negative. Yeah, which, we don't whichever do medical. Is, whichever is good. Medical and math. Despite <laughs> the fact that we have just been talking about numbers for the last few minutes and spent a good chunk of time talking about mortuaries. <laughs> medical and numbers, not, not, a, not part of the masthead. The MD after Sam's name. <laughs> <laughs> in the, stands in for the... more drinks <laughs> <laughs> but uh but i think when you look at these numbers um it it's clear to me that we're not a kevin gossman away we're we're more than a kevin gossman away um well i will point out that uh after four weeks and a plasma rich whatever injection mm-hmm. dylan bundy's arm is working again did he start throwing again well no but it doesn't hurt <laughs> Okay, baby He's not steps. Actively in pain. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, it. It. Uh, we were just talking before we turned on Los Microfonos. Um, that we don't do Spanish either. Um, <laughs> it's probably not a good idea. Uh, but we were just talking off air, as we say, that uh, about who the Orioles, who you would trade to bring in a frontline starter. Yes. Um, and the package I came up with that I would be. Uh, the most comfortable with giving up and which I think could yield a somewhat positive return, uh, maybe in combination with a little bit of salary dump action, uh, would be J.J. Hardy and Jake Arrieta. I'd hate to see J.J. go. 
I would hate to see JJ go. But, and I would be thrilled to see Jake Arrieta go. <laughs> um, but I think a gold glove shortstop with a lot of power uh, is the kind of offering at midseason that another team could be compelled by. Now, if you're talking about a deal for Cliff Lee, which I'm not not talking about I'm, a deal for I'm Cliff Lee. I'm regularly talking about, at least in my in my own head, um, <laughs> to acquire Cliff Lee from the Philadelphia Phillies. Yeah. Um, at what point do we think that the Phillies are just out of contention? Or do they continue to believe enough in their sort of veteran... I mean, Utley's back on the DL. Um, you know, Howard is not, not right. Um, do they continue to believe enough in their team that they think that they're always within contention and they're just one run away from, from clawing back into it? Um, well, I think that's a, that's a fascinating, that's a fascinating compo- aspect of uh, the Phillies as a potential trademark partner for a deal like this because they have a front office there which has invested a i mean we make fun of the yankees front office a lot that phillies front office has committed a nation in africa amount of money <laughs> they are in actually deep. more than a nation deep. in africa amount they are of money, in deep uh to a bunch of guys who are trending in the wrong direction mm-hmm. um and aged they, yeah and they have, which they've stated publicly, an almost willful um, disregard for any kind of advanced statistical analysis. And I know we make fun of sabermetrics a lot on this show, too. Um, but they, they just do not seem to be at all interested in acknowledging uh, the, <laughs> the force of gravity mm. uh, as, a, as a physical presence. So yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, I think, you know, also, they're not uh, out of that race yet. Uh, they're no. they're hovering right around 500, and for a guy like Ruben Ana- Ruben Amaro, that's enough to make him feel like they're just one move away. They're buyers, from maybe clawing their way back over the top. In his head, they're buyers. Sure. And in the and in the heads of Philadelphia fans, maybe they're buyers. Although I I get the sense that Philadelphia fans tend to be a little bit more realistic about uh, the quality of the team. Um, what they do with that energy, you know, is a different story. Um, I.e., throw batteries. Uh, <laughs> But I, I don't think Phillies fans are under any delusions. And if we have any Phillies fans tuning in, I'd actually be interested to know um, if you think uh, that this um, comical mass of incentive-laden contracts <laughs> can can coalesce over the course of the season. Is this a contention team? And if not, at what point do you pull the plug and try to move a $50 million contract like the, the, the Lee contract? Yeah. The moral of the story is, if unless the Red Sox and the Yankees come plummeting back to the earth which as oriole fans last year we are in no no position to be able to count on uh, <laughs> in any way shape or form then we have to look very clearly and closely at the fact that uh we will need to make some moves to get something out of either our long-term uh get a starter or two who can put some relief on the bullpen so that they're only pitching four innings every couple of games not every game yeah yeah uh, Edwin Jackson may be available soon, so.
All right. Well, before we get to our conversation with the folks at uh, Section 336, which, of course, you can find at Section336.com, uh, I did want to say a word about the about the camouflage uniforms. Uh, yes, yes. Um, which which um, I was forced to look at on my television today uh, and everybody <laughs> they, else. They did make the eyes hurt. They did. It is a big car going by outside. Big car. <laughs> um, so I, in theory, the purpose, and this isn't actually a theory, this is uh, directly taken from MLB.com. The purpose of the camouflage uniforms is to honor veterans and to raise funds for an organization called Welcome Back Veterans, which provides grants to hospitals that provide treatment for PTSD and traumatic brain injury. And that's all fine, in theory. <laughs> But you might say, how are these funds being raised? I bet it's uh, a percentage of ticket sales ah. at the games that are played today. Yes. Or maybe a percentage of concessions. Right. That is not true. Ah. The way that these funds are being raised is by fans buying the camo-themed memorabilia from the MLB.com shop. Oh, man. 100% of the proceeds of any sales of that camouflage-themed memorabilia will go to this organization, Welcome Back Veterans. Now, what that means is that baseball isn't supporting the troops at all. Nah, they got no skin in the game. <laughs> They're advertising the troops to the fans, who then have the option uh, by by wearing the caps and and jerseys today to support the team as they as they so choose. Yeah, to support the troops as they so choose. Right. So by 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 purchasing the least attractive unis that the team will be wearing over the course of that year. Right. So what they're basically doing is asking the fans who have already spent a tremendous amount of money coming out to the game or buying memorabilia from the team to do so again. Ah. And I think that is absurd. That is absurd. That is completely absurd. And furthermore, I think that if fans want to donate money in a way that is actually helpful to military personnel... What they should do is donate directly to this Welcome Back Veterans organization if they support their work, or donate to political candidates and campaigns that are actually going to have a more measurable effect on the fate of people who are selfless enough to volunteer for military service. Because otherwise, all we're doing is promoting this weird, hoary notion of military pride, which actually isn't good for military families that want their kids to come home safe because it keeps people from questioning the reasons that we even deploy our troops in the first place. And those reasons should be questioned vigorously because these are people's lives. So thumbs down, MLB. Yeah. And, on the and whole MLB, on the whole uh, Memorial Day camouflage you, uniform yeah, thing. If you're, if you're going to put skin in the game, put skin in the game. Put some portion of your proceeds on the day or on the week or even on the month, into this thing that you are clearly making so much hay out of. I mean, on Memorial Day, they had a bunch of games, a bunch of sellouts that are games, sold-out tickets because it can be a day game on a weekday. Exactly. Which isn't some, a time when people can go to these games when they would otherwise would not be able to. They make huge bones about their moment of silence, which the entire Major League Baseball team, Major League Baseball organization did today at 3 p.m. across the country. Whatever time it was in the game, they stopped for a moment of silence. Yeah. All of these things tie back to this sort of sports as metaphor for war, as uh, like glorious uh, pursuit of, of sports um, madness, uh, 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 military tie-in thing that um, leaves out any space for questioning 
like you were saying, Sam, uh, questioning at all why we would deploy the military as we do. And also, apparently, uh, <laughs> leaves out any ability for us to think about how and why we're actually supporting these troops and in what ways we're supporting them when they come back. Because right now we're not supporting them in a way that I think we should be. And a, a day to stand in silence and think about that is great. But what is also great is healthcare for people who are suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder and are having trouble reintegrating into an economy that <laughs> is not providing them for any, with any jobs and not allowing for their work and service in the military to be considered good job experience in the in the civilian world. Yeah. So, so I, I think if it's fair to, for you to say, Alan, uh, Baltimore on's public service announcement, if you care about American citizens who volunteer for military duty coming home safe, don't buy a hat, donate to a political campaign that is going to have an effect on policy um, that will that will dictate these people's lives, or give money directly to the organizations that are doing the sort sure. of nonprofit work that uh, that gives them sort of job training and, and and reintegration skills. Yeah. All right. All right. One more rant for you. Okay. Good. <laughs> good. Good. So something very interesting that I was looking at uh, today and over the last week. Um, so a group is trying to crowdsource the purchase. Uh, of a series of newspapers. Now, here's the story. Two famous paragons of virtue, Rupert Murdoch and the Koch brothers, <laughs> are both looking to purchase the Tribune Company, uh, a group, uh, uh, a conglomerate which includes, which, sorry, which counts the LA Times, the Chicago Tribune, and your own Baltimore Sun in its holdings, as well as Cars.com, CareerBuilders.com and a controlling interest in the Food Network, among many, 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 many other holdings. Um, the Tribune Company is for sale. So, as the bidding war between these two conservative titans heats up, we have an interesting third party entering the lists. Uh, who is this mystery knight? None other than you. You, the consumer. Uh, that's right, dear listener. A group called the, 90, the Other 98% are trying to take a page from the Baltimoreans playbook and just crowdsource the whole deal. Uh, and so far, they've raised, um, well, they've raised 131000 <laughs> of the approximately $660 million they are going to need to put together a credible offer for the asking price of the Tribune company. <laughs> so basically, they're almost there. <laughs> I should say, intern Scotty just woke up uh, from death. <laughs> Long enough to say, ha, and then <laughs> went back to being dead. Uh, so, so, you know, this, this, it, this uh, raises some interesting questions for me beyond just the, uh, the questions of who should own access to reporting and um, should it be the same conservative titans who are accessing our political sphere and our capitalist consumer sphere. Um, I have my own answers on that. But um, why is the Tribune Company for sale in the first place? And is it still a profitable operation? Um, how does the local paper compare to, in, 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 in sort of the purview of what we cover here on this show, the local sports franchise in terms of importance to the community? How does the local paper, the Baltimore Sun, compare to the Baltimore Orioles in your mind in terms of a legacy of the city of Baltimore? Mm. Um, and in many ways, the fourth estate, I think, is maybe, is maybe even more important to a city than a functioning sports franchise. Um, but I'll bet that the Orioles are making more money right now than the Baltimore Sun and continue to have a more direct stream of revenue at any given point. 
So I, I think it's a very interesting. Uh, clearly, I don't imagine that in the next 19 days, uh, 98% are going to come up with the other 600 and don't do numbers. Don't do numbers. Million eight hundred and seventy doing it nine thousand dollars. He got there, <laughs> but uh, were they two? I think it's a very interesting idea, and I think it. Um, I think that 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 in some ways. Um, in some ways, I think that people care less about their newspaper than they do about their sports team. So I think that there'd be more of a crowd swell, ground swell to buy a sports franchise than there would for a series of newspapers. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a very interesting attempt by them to 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 break into a crowdsourcing version of a of an insurmountably uh, expensive and therefore controlled by a very small minority of the world area. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, some people are going to say, I think, in response to that, that the Wall Street Journal has mostly managed to maintain its integrity under Rupert Murdoch's stewardship. Um, But I think on on the flip side of that, um, the real problem is that most people do not feel the kind of, as we talk about so much on this show, the kind of visceral familial instinctual reactive relationship to their newspaper right in the way that they do to their sports team right and uh that that's that's unfortunate i think um because uh because there we're in an era where the idea of a canonical source for information is less and less valued yeah. Um, and it we're moving more towards a situation where it's you kind of triangulate your opinion based on who's shouting the loudest and seems to agree with you most often. Um, and so, I mean, it opens up a whole question of 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 whether or not that 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 idea of a canonical source is is more relevant or less relevant now than than it was in the past. Um and of course, this all is very closely related to Orioles baseball. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the, the connection back to me gets to the question of the Baltimore Sun, which, you know, it, it, it is at the top of the home scoreboard at Orioles Park at Camden Yards. Right. And is, I think, an institution of similar value and and societal influence in the city of Baltimore as the Orioles have been. And I think that... Um, Despite the fact that the newspaper, as we've just been discussing, is a dying industry and that we have not yet figured out what to do with the print paper and how to continue to make that something that is valuable and continues to be something that is useful for for or or, or at least cost productive. Um, one of the things that's very interesting to me about the idea of crowdsourcing this whole thing is that conceivably you could turn the Tribune company into a nonprofit. And if their desire was no longer to make a profit, that could free them up in a very interesting way to support the sort of work that papers had traditionally done, which is to say shine a light on and castigate and keep track of people in other walks of life being bad people and right. continue to be sort of the 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 watchdog for us uh, a community which when you lose a paper 
even a local paper, what you're losing really is is people who are paid to be watchdogs and right. people who are paid to watch the other things that are happening in their society and tell people about it. Yeah. If that was not a profit-driven motive, if there was no profit that tri the Tribune company needed to turn, if there was no board meeting of board members who were expecting dividends by the end of the year and right. money to come in, then I think you have a very interesting new way of thinking about how to do news. All right. Now that we have uh, gotten that out of our systems um, and hopefully impregnated your minds with wonder. Truth babies! <laughs> and Back there's your baseball. episode title. Back to baseball, we're, folks. We're, Back to baseball. We, we are going to get back to baseball. We had the privilege of being joined on the line by two of the members of the creative team behind the Section 336 blog and podcast, which you can find at section336.com. We were joined by Josh and Matt, and it went a little bit like this. Baltimoreans, we are on the line with Matt and Josh, two of the hosts of the Section 336 podcast, which you can check out over at section336.com or in iTunes. Gentlemen, how are y'all doing? We, we are good. We're excited to be on the Baltimoreans show. I'm a big fan of your podcast, and we're excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And likewise, we, uh, we have very much been enjoying checking you guys out. You guys are just uh, 10 episodes in, is that right? That's right. We are new at this whole podcast thing, so we're kind of feel, feel, feeling our way through, but we're having a lot of fun with it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, just, to, just to jump in, actually, with a question about um, starting off a podcast, a little shop talk. Uh, your guys' show has a very, what I would call, radio sound. Um, to me, uh, you guys, it seems like you invest a lot of time in having particular audio signatures for various segments and for the show in general. Um, and that's really different than a lot of independent sports podcasts, which are sort of more like just turn on the mics and talk for a little while and see what comes out. Um, and not that there's anything wrong with that latter approach, but I really like the, uh, feel that you, the way you guys have set things up. Uh, creates and I'm wondering how much of that is conscious is that is that something where you're you're going for a particular sound or where does that come from yeah well well here's the thing Sam and I appreciate you you saying that but to <laughs> be honest when when I when we first got into this podcast thing and for me in particular and this is Matt by the way talking for me in particular I had never listened to a podcast before ah the, oh I had absolutely no idea like I listen to talk radio all the time but I had absolutely no idea how podcasts were done. I didn't even realize, like once we started, I started looking up other Baltimore pod podcasts and I realized there's a lot of them. And this was all new to me. So part of it is, and if you listen to our first episode, I went back and listened to our first episode and it's terrible. And partly because <laughs> like we have, we at first we didn't have much of an idea of what we were doing. And so every episode, it kind of evolves. Sure. And we just, and we, and as we're doing it, we just get ideas, and a lot of the ideas they come like mid-show. Um, <laughs> like we totally. have one segment called Bert Story Time. Yes, one of my favorites. Yes, and my favorite segment. Story time. The, yeah, there. <laughs> <and we started laughs> right, soundboard and everything. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and Josh is great with the sounds, and Josh can talk in a second about the sound quality, which I'm sure is exciting podcast talk, the, the sound quality of, of podcasts. But, but as far as, like, Bert's story time goes, like, Bert would always just try to interject his stories into our podcast. And we tried to keep our podcast in 45 minutes, a nice flowing podcast, uh-huh. talking about the Orioles. But Bert would always insert, try to insert his stories. And we said, Bert, we're trying to get through our segments here. We're trying to get through talking about the Orioles. You just can't throw out your stories in the middle of talking about the Orioles. So then we finally said, fine, Bert. We'll give you your own segment. Take 10 minutes of every podcast. Yep. Tell your story. Get it off your chest, and we can move on. And so that's kind of how the, that segment was created. And it's like every episode, we just add another segment, add another segment. Until now, you're right. We just... It's like a series of running segments throughout, throughout yeah. for our podcast. Yeah, that's and, great. And we're cutting segments to try to stick with that 45 minutes. Um, I think it was I think it was me that presented the whole idea of doing a podcast to Matt. This is Josh, uh, <laughs> because the three of us would just sit around and talk Orioles baseball anyway. And uh, <laughs> I've listened forever to uh, talk radio, not as much sports. Matt was always sports talk radio, and I was more just generic talk radio when that used to be on the radio in the area yeah and uh became friends over the years with uh oscar from the big o and duke show if you know that and they made a transition from the radio to podcast and that i helped oscar with tech the technical side of that stuff oh, and gotcha. i kind of okay. learned there um how to do podcasts and stuff from seeing their side which then came from radio so kind of bringing uh all that together to just really emphasizing that our goals were Good audio quality yeah. and consistent release dates, and then hopefully content and followers would come. Sure. <laughs> Our podcast may be terrible, but it sounds good. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's that's the uh, that's the, the 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 bar that so many people can't get over. So yeah, I think if you uh, if you have good audio quality and a consistent release date, you have done ninety eight percent of the work you need to do to have a, uh, a solid podcast. But that's cool. So so Josh, coming from uh, somewhat of an audio background, you kind of already spoke the language of radio. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm an audio engineer, and I've worked in recording studios in the past, and I've done a lot of live sound, so I at least know the equipment to get this all set up and working. Cool, cool. Um, well, so switching away from the, the finer technical details of, of <laughs> podcasting, um, let's talk about uh, something completely not technical and uh, totally uh, emotion-based, uh, which is, I think, one thing that Alan and I struggle with living in New York is that um, we have like a really good sense of how we feel about the Orioles. <laughs> um, and we have a good sense of how national media and Rock Kabatko and the Baltimore Sun guys feel about the Orioles. Um, and we have a sense of how many people seem to be turning up for games when we watch on Masson. But um, we don't really have a sense of what people are saying uh, on street corners and at bus stations and stuff like that. Um, and when one of the things I find interesting about living, uh, where we do is that I have a real sense of kind of like where Yankees fans are at in terms of their passion level about the team. Cause I hear about it on a subway platform or in line at a bodega. Um, and that's a very different, uh, there's a very different quality to that than, um, the sort of more in my own head, uh, and in the head of journalists, about the team state of mind that I feel like I have about the Orioles. So I'm wondering from your guys' perspective, uh, when you go to games, when you talk to colleagues at work, um, how do you, where do you feel like people are at with this team? Yeah. Um, I think the, the, and this is Matt again, the, the, the interesting thing is if you look like a post to a couple years ago and now 
there's more interest there. I, I know if, if I would walk out of my house, just walk around town like two years ago with my O's gear on, my shirt, my hat, um, rocking the Orioles a couple years ago, like very rarely would you see someone rocking the, the, the O's gear. And when you saw them, it was like a connection there because you guys were the people that, the, you know, the last remnants of a, of a dying team. Holding strong or, against the uh, the overwhelming forces of reality. <laughs> exactly right. In denial or, or what, we, we were holding on. Um, but but now you, you go out, you see O's gear, everyone wears it, you see it all the time, which is a pretty cool thing. And and there, I guess, the, and, and people are interested in the Orioles now. And even if you don't see a salad every night at Camden Yards, if you walk around town, people are talking O's talk, which is good and bad. It, it's good in the sense that, I mean, it's great in the sense that you're talking Orioles, people are excited about the team. It can be bad when kind of the Orioles hit rough patches and people overanalyze everything and people kind of go crazy <laughs> off one bad game. And you see that a lot more. But I'm kind, of, I'm, I'm kind of glad I see it because it means that people care about the Orioles now where that was not always the case. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I think the people who have stuck with the Orioles through the, through the rough patches are okay. now expecting playoffs, World Series. This team has a chance. Well, but we're also seeing a lot of uh, new people just start to pay attention to the Orioles. Um, I happen to have an Oriole tattoo, and it used to be people oh, come nice. up to nice. me and say, oh, you must really like the Orioles. Now <laughs> people come up and say, how about the Orioles? They're doing great, this, uh, that. They're at least paying attention to know that they're doing well. Oh, nice. And um, a lot more people now saying, oh, I should get to a game. Even if they can't name all the players, at least they're starting to pay attention again. Now, yeah. which uh, which of the different logos do you have tattooed, or is it not I, a logo? I have the uh, bird from like the seventies. Nice. The, so the cartoon, uh, original, not not the new remake. Nice. The, the early cartoon. Exactly. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. So we uh we I, there there are two questions I have based off of that. One of which is, did you guys know that the Orioles' success seems to correspond alarmingly well with the current mascot we yeah, switched we back to the bird years ago we've been with that yeah <laughs> awesome so the yeah. uh the the uh the number of uh playoff playoff appearances i think is uh directly i think there was one with the accurate bird and then uh maybe two total yeah i think 97 98 yeah so the 697 that's what it is yeah. yep there there was a uh there was a uh, uh there's a there's a, a thing that happens in soccer fanship where like if you try to be a casual soccer fan everyone and you go to like a bar and watch like a a european league game everyone like won't talk to you they're like what you know you're a johnny come lately you you have to like earn your stripes to be a soccer fan and if you're just trying to pick up the game now people won't explain it to you they're not interested there's like a very strong uh a bandwagon hater <laughs> tradition in soccer soccer fanship in the US. People feel like they're part of a cult and if you're not part of the cult, you're not a part of the cult. Do you guys feel like there's like a, an old and new Orioles fans in the second year of people like beginning to be a team worthy of following and and kind of on sports center every night and stuff like that? Do you guys see a bunch of bandwagon fans or is there like the, people... the bandwagon fans definitely we felt last year coming out I think this year, with it starting at the beginning of the season, we're uh, giving a little more grace to those fans and uh, <laughs> allowing them to uh, learn this year to like the O's. We just like to see the stadium with a bunch of orange. Yeah, for and, sure. Uh, however they're coming on, it's nice to have them there. Yeah, but there is something to, to what you're saying. I mean, there is something. Like, we've been through the pain of misery. We felt <laughs> it. We lived through those miserable years. And, and there, is, there is something to a new O's fan who just – 
they, 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 they don't appreciate what they have. They right. don't appreciate Manny Machado, how great he is, because right. they didn't see um, the Hayden Pens and the Adam Lowens and, yep. the, and, and all those guys who, who failed. And so because they, they didn't see those guys, I don't think they appreciate as much the success of a Manny Machado or the success of of who of who, who whomever. Yeah, I have to say that was one of my favorite parts of uh, your guys. You guys did an interview with Jeremy Kahn recently, who was on uh, who was uh, DJ on 105.7 The Fan, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. Um, and what it was a great interview, and uh, everybody should check it out. Um, but uh, my favorite part of it is when he was saying like, "Look, Orioles fans have a right to be pissed off." Uh, and surprised, pissed off about um, the way things went for a long time, and surprised about how successful Manny Machado is because the front office lied to everyone for years about how good <laughs> the prospects yeah. were. They just lied, um, and it was so nice now to hit someone in real media, yeah, uh, say that. Yeah, that was. I found that uh, really, really striking, and we all knew it wasn't true. And so now we have uh, somebody like Manny Machado, and it's like, yeah, you don't get to be as excited about Manny Machado as we are. Because, <laughs> yeah, you know, you didn't you you didn't go through the complicated mental gymnastics of saying like Rocky Coppinger is going to pitch better than his weight would seem to indicate. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. right. And, uh, and yeah, and that's the beauty of our podcast is we talked about Rocky Coppinger. Yes, <laughs> we we bit all been through those. Yeah, years. I also appreciated that you guys made a reference to Joe Orsalak's hair. <laughs> Hard to avoid. Hard to avoid. That's true. <laughs> when you're talking about Joe Orsalak, the first thing you actually have to talk about is the hair, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, I feel like the way you're talking about our podcast now, we're talking about Rocky Carpenter, Joe Orsalak. We do actually talk about Orioles baseball, current Orioles baseball. <laughs> we, we, we have been accused of talking about better meat and Lou Ford and, and, and past guys right. too much. But we do actually talk about the Orioles now. Yeah. State of the we're, we're great for bandwagon fans. They're, they can listen to us. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's actually a remarkably good segue to uh, the next question I had for you, which is, uh, Jim Johnson, how big a problem is it, and what should Buck do? Yeah, this is Matt again. I guess I'll start. I, this is, I mean, this is something that's, that's hotly debated and what I think they should do and what I think they're going to do are two, are two different things. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I love Buck Showalter. But the one thing, if I could pick one thing that, that gets on my nerves about him sometimes, is he really sticks with his guys. Yeah, yeah. loyal. If Hardy his guy, he's going to stick with him. If Hardy, his guy, who's sitting in the two-hole, yeah. even if he's not hitting in that two-hole, he's sticking with him. Yeah. And the thing about Jim Johnson is, is Jim Johnson, I mean, he just hasn't been getting the job done. And... And what we've seen done with Hunter and Strope when they were struggling, you change the role a little bit. You put him in a few games when it doesn't matter to get the competence up. This is what I think they should do with Jim Johnson um, to get his competence up, to, to, to put him in a different role. But Buck Showalter kind of treats certain guys differently, and Johnson's one of those guys as the closer. I don't, I don't see Showalter making that change, but I think he should. And I, my, this is Josh, and my opinion is I don't think we need a traditional closer. I think we don't have a traditional start in five. We keep rotating. <laughs> That's a very good point. So very why, good point. why do we need a traditional closer? We can just uh, mix it up O'Day or Patton or Mattis based on the lineup, based on how they're pitching, and just put him in like another relief pitcher. And if Johnson somehow gets hot again and becomes that guy that Showalter keeps going to in that situation – He'll earn his spot back. Hold up, and I just want to say, just for the record, Josh does not express the views of Section Three Three Six because I don't completely agree with that. But, but yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, we we were having a very uh, a very similar debate recently while we were watching uh, the the meltdown that was the Toronto Blue Jays ninth inning. Um, I'm with you on this one, Josh. I'm not really sure I buy the whole idea of a closer mentality, uh, and I think that you know matchups in this case have been working for the Orioles so well for so long. But it is a little bit alarming that uh, the the guy who was for such a long time. Uh, such a a mentally strong like we could we could just count on him and I think that there there became a thing last year where because we had Jim Johnson back there everyone on the Orioles team believed if we could be up by just one going into the late innings we were going to win the right. game and that sort of snowballed in a really nice way and people like I, I think just believed believed as a team that that this was going to continue to happen so it's hard to see them losing that sort of invincibility yeah well, yeah and, and 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 even if i mean with our whole bullpen even if we were tied going into the seventh or eighth inning even if it was tied we felt like we were going to win that ball game yeah because we could, we could stay tied all day and, and until we until we score because because they weren't scoring on our, on, our, on our bullpen but we don't have that this year yeah yeah i i also think um you know, it, it's tough to uh, you can you can excuse one blown save you can excuse two blown saves <clears throat> Excuse me. You can even excuse three blown saves, but then you, when they come back to back, uh, it feels particularly problematic. And then also you get into a situation where we're a little bit past the quarter pole of the season, and we entered play today three and a half back of New York and Boston, with Jim Johnson having blown four of his fast five save opportunities. Mm. So that's four games in the win column right there. Um, yeah, and then when our our hitters are hitting so well. That these are games we should win. I mean, these are games. Our hitters are playing such good baseball that we're just we're giving away games that we shouldn't, we shouldn't lose, and that's what makes it all the more worse. And it's one person putting our entire team into a slump. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, uh, in in brighter news, perhaps I think I think Alan had a question for <laughs> yeah. you about the front end of the rotation. <laughs> on the opposite end of that question, I, I'm I'm with you on the whole uh, the the. Uh, non-traditional, we'll call it non-traditional starting rotation theory that Buck and Dan have been rolling out for the last year and a half, and I actually have to say I really enjoy it. Um, I, li- <laughs> I like I like the riding the hot hand. You know, if if a Miguel Gonzalez can come up and win us nine games, like God bless, let's keep doing that. But yeah. how uh, excited on a scale of one to excited are you guys for the Kevin Gossman era? And is he going to be enough to stabilize the rotation, or are we going to have to do something crazy like go overpay for Cliff Lee at the midseason trade deadline? I think Gosman looked great in Toronto, especially as his first start and uh, having to uh, travel and do all that. I'm excited to see him uh, become his own in Baltimore. I'm going to head down right? to Washington to see him yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, nice. And uh, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. I- I'm excited. I'm- I guess I'm less excited. Uh for the for the Royals, I feel like we just need guys to go six innings. At least last year, we needed guys to go six innings, maybe seven innings tops, because our bullpen was so solid. This year, with our bullpen not being as solid, um, those six innings might just not cut it. We need the guys to go deeper into the games. Can Gossman? Can he be that guy? I I I, I don't know. Um, as far as his pitch count goes, I don't know. I know they don't want his pitch count get, getting high. But I want I want someone like Jason ha- like Jason ha- ha- Hamill did today. Yeah, I want someone who can go eight innings, and and spare that bullpen because when you get, have a guy go six innings, that means we're talking about three relievers. You're relying that three relievers are going to be on top of their game and pitch well that particular day. Yeah, that's 
I mean, that, that you can't guarantee that. No, and that's, that's why our bullpen is constantly rotating as well this year because we're, we're leaning on it so much. So I hope Gossman's the answer, but, but I, I don't know. Yeah, I have to say my biggest concern with Gossman is, is exactly what you're saying, Matt, that we need somebody who can go through the opposing team's lineup three times, maybe even four. And when you have a guy who has two-plus pitches but then is, uh, you know, and this is a direct quote from various articles about him, still working on the slider, um, <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're throwing 97. Uh, you know, Edwin Encarnacion is going to turn that around at a certain point. Um, and, you know, even Munenori Kawasaki is going to turn that around at a certain point. Ugh. Right, um, and, and even if he has a great changeup, fine, but you can sit on one of those two pitches, and if you, choose, and you, if you guess right, then yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, th- I mean, you know, it, it's, I heard some people saying, like, well, uh, Strasburg only has three pitches, and I, I was like, yeah, that's true, and all three of them are devastating. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Um, We're missing him again this time through, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, we got to Geo today. Yeah. So, that's true. Uh, so we'll see. Well, gentlemen, uh, thank you very much for for taking the time to join us on the show today. Um, everybody should get over to section three three six dot com. That's the numbers three three and six, uh, and you can also find section three thirty six six. Oop! I just called your guys podcast <laughs> section three thirty six. How do you feel about that? <laughs> I don't know how I feel, actually. <laughs> it means we got to buy a new domain name. <laughs> and maybe change your content a little bit. <laughs> See, this is what happens. You, you guessed on the Baltimoreans podcast, new business opportunities open up for you. There you go. Appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks, guys. You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather communist. This is Alan Smith. My name is Comrade Sam. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, thank you very much for tuning in this week, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 52. And bearing with our political ideologies. We do not apologize. Um, I I do want to thank very much uh, Josh and Matt from Section 336 for coming on the show. Please check out their podcast both at their website and in itunes and please do not tar them with the same red brush that you are of course tarring us (laughs) i'm imagining legions of people literally painting their computers red (laughs) um if the computers of your uh speakers of your computer have not yet been uh, clogged with red paint uh, i also wanted to let you know that i was very privileged to be featured on the most recent episode of the stealing home podcast Uh, The episode is entitled Gambling, and you can find it at stealinghome.org or in iTunes. And I also want to let you know, as usual, that the music on the show today was uh, provided by the following excellent individuals. Our theme music was by Marshall York. We used the Weather Report song Birdland. Nope. What is it called? Birdland. Yeah. Great. Mm. Um, And uh, you're, of course, now hearing the Black Crows with Kicking My Heart Around. And you can always find more episodes of our show at baltimoreonspodcast.com. The boys from uh, <coughs> Section 336 mentioned, of course, that we they try to keep it exactly at 45 minutes. We uh, are way over that already, so we're not going to get to your <coughs> emails or calls this week. But they have been coming in, and we would love for that to continue. Please go to baltimoreonspodcast.com and check out the Contact Us area. So you can contribute as well. Yes. Uh, with that, we're going to say, as Gary Thorne would, adieu, adieu. Now there was no around.